the losses I have experienced from the coronavirus or due to the coronavirus kind of include everything. Uh, graduation is now canceled, prom is canceled, all school activities are canceled. We are out of school until I guess next year. So kind of this last semester that we've all been working towards our entire lives is over. The entire class of 2020 is kind of has lost this last semester of their lives and this last period of closure um, from this chapter of our lives. Um, so we're all experiencing that together, but one big thing for me is that we have a German exchange student and she's having to go back early because all the borders are closing and things like that and I wasn't quite ready for her to leave and I selfishly want her to stay even though I know it would be better for her to go home. So that's really hard. And it's not fun to know that I'm not gonna get to graduate. Like I'll, I'll graduate and I'll get the diploma and I'll be fine, but we won't get to walk across the stage and I won't get to see my entire class again, probably ever, like all in one place. Like senior prom is canceled and people are trying to come up with ways to make up for those things, but it's not quite the same. Everything that's important to us at the moment was kind of taken away. Like I won't get to say goodbye to a lot of my teachers. Like I might see them in the grocery store or wherever, but it, like I won't get to go to any of my classes ever again. And we might do online stuff, but it's not quite the same. I won't get to say goodbye to a lot of my underclassmen friends. Um, like I'll still be around at K-State, um, but I know a lot of kids that are moving probably won't get an opportunity to have any closure at all. So I'm just grateful that I will be around next year, but um, that's a pretty big loss is that there won't really be any of that like emotional, like I've moved on ready for the next chapter of my life. It'll kind of always just be up in the air. Um, it's definitely not easy to trust the Lord in times like these. Um, like deep down I know that God provides and that we're all gonna be okay. He's not gonna leave us in the dust and that everything's gonna be fine in the end, but it's hard to keep a positive mindset and to not question why this is happening and to not, like it's hard to understand why why me and why why my class and why this city and why this state and why the world and like why is this happening to us um, so I kind of have conflicting ideas or conflicting thoughts it's it calms my worries to know that God's always got us but it's also still hard to understand why this is happening I think God is testing me I think he's testing my faith and how well I'll be able to rely on him and trust in him in such a weird and confusing time. If we don't put our full faith in God, it would be very easy to just sit sit in the dark and sulk and be upset about all the bad things that are going on because there are always bad things going on in this world, whether it's this virus or anything happening. It'd be really easy to just sulk in our despair and let it consume us. In a worldly sense, I'd like to know how we're gonna make up for all this lost time because it does feel like I'm losing like a semester of my life um, and losing a lot of these important moments. So yeah, I'm sad. I think my entire class is really sad about it and it'll probably take a while to come to terms with it, but it's getting easier. Looking at the future, I'm definitely excited for this all to be over. Uh, I'm excited for life to go back to normal. Um, I'm also really excited for college next year because now that high school is over, um, that's kind of the next big thing I have to look at. I've also found that getting outside can help to occupy my brain and I can 
Like this morning I went for about a two hour walk just around my neighborhood and it helped remind me that the world is still going even though it feels like everything is kind of falling apart and that nothing's really going right. It was a nice reminder to see the birds still doing what they're doing and the squirrels still going crazy and like the world is still, the world is still turning and it's all gonna be fine in the end. Well said, Maggie. We wanted you to hear Maggie's experience as kind of a lead-in to what we're gonna talk about the next three weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, namely, we're going to discuss how the uncertainty and the disruption and the loss and the hardship of this time is really an opportunity, an opportunity for us to learn lessons, some deep lessons, some profound lessons that we might miss during the quote-unquote normal times. And so without any way suggesting that God sent coronavirus, COVID-19, we don't believe that, uh, we can say with great confidence that God wants to use the hardship and loss and the disruptions we're experiencing to teach us some deep lessons. You saw a few weeks ago in James 1 that God never wastes a perfectly good trial to refine us and conform us to the image of Christ. And so this is an idea that, that we talk about quite often, but rarely has the church experienced a trial like this one that brings all of us, not just a few of us, but all of us face to face with our own helplessness and our own weakness. Rarely have we experienced a trial like this one that shatters the illusion that we are in control of our lives. Okay, the fact that I am standing here in an empty worship center and you are watching where you are, it demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that we do not control our lives. And we, we have uh, very little say over many things in our lives. We're weak, we're helpless in almost every way. And so during the next several months, we have the opportunity to learn some things that will not only sustain us during this season, but they have the, the potential of actually changing the way we think and the way we live permanently. I, I would plead with you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, don't make it your goal to get back to normal as quickly as possible, okay? All of us have priorities, and we have uh, habits that need to be refined, that need to be changed. And that's true whether you've been walking with Christ for just a, a very short time or whether you've been walking closely with Christ for decades, you know, this, this lockdown has revealed some things in my life and in my heart, in my daily habits, my daily priorities, and my weekly routines that absolutely need to change. And so I would just appeal to you that if we are teachable, God can use these weeks and months to teach us some deep lessons, and God can give us a vision for a new way of living. But for that to happen, we have to interpret our hardship and our loss, just this disruption in biblical categories through a biblical grid, not the grid of our emotions or the grid of our culture. And so the next three weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna take a, a look at how Paul interpreted his hardships and his loss. And we'll see that he patterned his suffering after that of Christ. And so we're gonna be studying portions of 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. 
Now let me just acknowledge up front that the hardships that we're exp experiencing due to COVID-19 are, are really uh, very unlike the hardships that Paul experienced. And so Paul experienced hardships because he was faithful, he was obedient to his calling. His mission was to take Christ to people who had never heard the gospel. And so he marched into hardship like a soldier marching into battle. Uh, COVID-19 is happening to us. We didn't choose it. We just find ourselves in the midst of this situation. And so our hardship is very different from Paul's. But if we model our, our suffering after Paul's, we can learn the same lessons that he did. And if we learn those lessons, we can have the same vision for our lives that Paul had. And so today we look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11. We're going to talk about uh, the lessons of hardship and then the vision that follows if we learn those lessons. And so in the, the previous paragraph, Paul uh, explains how he and his fellow believers were God's chosen means of sharing Christ with people. That's how God did it. God could share Christ in any number of ways, but he shines the light into to our hearts and then we turn around and shine it to other people. In verse 7, Paul makes a striking contrast. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And so Paul refers to the gospel uh, as this treasure. It's so valuable, it's so precious that he calls it a treasure. Jesus also likened the kingdom of God to a treasure that is buried in a field. But the irony, Paul writes, is that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The NIV translates it jars of clay. And so by calling the human body and human frailty clay pots or jars of clay, Paul is pointing out how humble we are in comparison to the infinitely valuable message that we bring to others. And so clay jars were inexpensive, they were disposable, they were fragile. Jars that were made out of metal, uh, they were durable, they could be repaired. Jars made out of, of glass, they were very expensive, they could be melted down and refashioned. But a jar of clay, you just throw it away when it's broken. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, the glorious gospel lives in a very fragile container. And I think our, our experience with COVID-19 really confirms that we are clay pots, okay? A virus has shut down most of the world. It's disrupted life as we know it. And so we have daily reminders, daily reminders I've never experienced that we are not invincible, we are not indestructible. Uh, scripture likens humanity to the grass that withers or like flowers that fade. We live in these mortal bodies, we live in bodies that are subject to sickness and death. Uh, the encouraging thing for those who are in Christ is that when he returns, we will be raised immortal. We will be given glorious, indestructible bodies ones that are akin to the resurrection body of Jesus himself. And so this is a temporary condition, but in this life, we live in bodies that are frail and mortal. 
The thing to notice that Paul says is that this is by God's design. This is not a liability. This is by God's design. God put this treasure in clay pots in us so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, God wanted to demonstrate his power through weak, frail human beings so that no one would mistakenly conclude that we are powerful in and of ourselves. God wanted to demonstrate without question he is the strong one in this relationship. That is his design. In chapter 12, Paul writes about being given uh, a thorn in the flesh, just eight chapters later in 2 Corinthians 12. There was probably some type of physical limitation, some type of, of physical disability, but he said he was given it to keep him from being prideful. In other words, he was given this thorn in the flesh so that he would learn humility. Here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 8. He says, concerning this, this thorn in the flesh, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And the answer turned out to be no. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God said, no, I want to show my power in your weakness. Notice Paul's response. This is amazing. He says, most gladly, therefore, would we say this? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's humility. Humility says to God, if my weakness, if my loss, if my hardship provides a showcase for your power, God, so be it. That's what it looks like to bend the knee to the Almighty God. Well, back in chapter 4 in verses 8 and 9, Paul gives four examples of the, the hardships, the limitations he experienced. And see if you can relate to any of these in, in these days in which we're living. First of all, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Paul experienced all sorts of hardships, all sorts of afflictions, uh, physical, personal, emotional. In chapter 11, he will mention being beaten with rods. He was stoned, robbed. He was hungry and thirsty. Yet, he writes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He survived those afflictions without losing his faith. In other words, he persevered. The second one is probably the most fascinating to me. He said, perplexed, but not despairing. Paul was perplexed. Things happened to Paul that he did not understand. And this suggests that you can be spiritually mature, you can be exactly in the will of God, and be perplexed. Significantly, Paul says, we were perplexed, but not despairing. The fact that he didn't understand everything that was happening to him and in his world didn't make, his throw up, didn't make him throw up his hands and say, well, what's the use? Why should I even seek God? I don't know about you, but this pandemic we're experiencing is very perplexing. It's very disorienting. It's incredibly bewildering to, to live in a community that is in lockdown. We don't know how long it will last. We don't know what it will mean. 
medically, economically, socially, but Paul demonstrated that it is possible to be perplexed uh, without despairing. It's possible to have joy. It's possible to have shalom, peace, without understanding what we're going through. As a matter of fact, uh, if you feel like you need to figure out your circumstances, you need to figure out this pandemic, what, what caused it, who's to blame, what it's going to mean down the road this year, years from now, if you feel like you have to figure all that out, you are setting yourself up for a life of fear and frustration, okay? That, that is not our place. Uh, eventually, I think things will become clear. Uh, but we can be perplexed without despairing. We can thrive. We can have joy and peace, even if we're per perplexed. Third, he says, persecuted but not forsaken. Paul experienced persecution almost everywhere he preached the gospel, verbal and physical. And yet God never abandoned him. Uh, Jesus told his followers, said, I want you to go and make disciples among all the nations, but his promise is, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I'll never abandon you. Uh, I will always be with you. Even if you give your life for me, I will never forsake you. Paul experienced that firsthand. Finally, he says, struck down but not destroyed. To use a boxing analogy, Paul was knocked down, but he was not knocked out. And so in verses 10 and 11, Paul explains more specifically what he's been talking about. And so he's using these four things he just mentioned, and he says that his hardships are analogous to the, the suffering that Jesus experienced, actually his suffering and his death. And his perseverance is analogous to Jesus' resurrection life. Look at verse 10. He says, we're always carrying about in the body, so he's talking about their bodily experience, carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So he's speaking about their bodily suffering when he mentions carrying about in the body the dying or the death of Jesus. In other words, when they were afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, they were suffering the way Jesus suffered. He experienced those very same types of things. When they persevered bodily, the life of Jesus was being manifested in their bodies. So when they were not crushed, not despairing, not forsaken, not destroyed, they were experiencing the resurrection life of Jesus. And so they persevered because Jesus is alive. Jesus was living through them, sustaining them by his spirit. In verse 11, he, he changes the imagery just a bit, but he's making the same point. He says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So again, he's talking about their bodily experience of being put into deadly situations for the cause of Christ. Every time Paul went into a, a city, uh, he was potentially walking to his death. He was potentially uh, being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. But Paul took that risk because that was the only way for the life of Jesus to be manifested 
in their mortal flesh. And the amazing thing is that you never get the impression that Paul wished he had a different assignment. You never get the impression Paul wished he had a life of comfort and ease. Actually, if you read in Philippians 3, you'll say, Paul, say, Paul would say, no, I, I, I gladly suffer the loss of all things. Why? He said, because I want to know Christ comprehensively. I not only want to know, I want to know the power of his resurrection, I also want to experience the fellowship of his sufferings. And so Paul wanted this comprehensive knowledge of Christ. Paul was somebody who said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So he wanted to live the same life that Jesus had lived. He wanted Jesus to live his life through him. And so I would summarize the passage this way, because Paul willingly suffered hardship and persevered. His life was a parable of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because he learned humility and he suffered well, he embodied the gospel where people not only heard the truth about Jesus, they saw it lived out in his life. They saw the death and the resurrection of Jesus by the way he lived. So let's consider how this, this current ordeal we're experiencing is an opportunity to learn humility, first of all, and then to cultivate a vision for being like Paul, embodying the gospel. Let's think about learning humility. So again, I would say that this current pandemic gives every single one of us the opportunity to deepen our humility in some way. And so I would encourage you to evaluate. Think back about the last week or the last two weeks. Uh, what has been your, your reaction to the hardship, the disruption, the loss that you have experienced? Uh, pay attention in the days and weeks ahead to, to the things that you experience. Pay attention to what aspects of humility God might want to teach you. And it will vary from person to person. And so you may need to learn what I, I mentioned earlier, how to be perplexed without despairing. As I mentioned, there are many, many things we're going through that are very per perplexing. And uh, again, we'll probably get clarity sometimes, but we can cult sometime, but we can cultivate a type of humility that trusts God even before we have answers. Uh, don't try to hold God hostage and say, God, I will trust you if you clear up uh, my perplexity. I, I will trust you if you, you show me what's going to happen, that I'm going to be okay in the future. And so I would encourage you, in addition to today's passage, if this is a huge issue for you, uh, go to the book of Job. It's really kind of a case study in how to be perplexed to the glory of God. And so Job lo uh, suffered loss of almost everything in his life. And his response was worship and thanksgiving. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He's the Lord. He can do that. He said, shall we accept good from the hand of God and not adversity? Well, of course not. We should accept everything that God brings into our lives. And so Job could live with uh, being perplexed. His friends, however, they could not. They couldn't live with ambiguity. They had this airtight logic 
that explained Job's suffering. They tried to tell him, Job, there's always a cause and effect relationship. The reason you're suffering is because you've sinned. And as the readers, we know that they were clueless. We're told earlier in the, in the book what happened. But they were clueless, but they couldn't live with ambiguity. Maybe we need to learn the type of humility that allows for being perplexed without despairing. Or another scenario. Some of you are experiencing financial hardship because you've been laid off or your hours have been cut or your customers, your clients, they aren't spending money because of, of uh, this virus. Uh, in Philippians 4, and my impulse is, is to, to rush in and how can we fix this? What can we do? Well, in Philippians 4, Paul said that he learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstance in which he found himself, both having abundance and suffering need. You can't learn contentment uh, when you're suffering need unless you suffer need and you trust God. And so if you're suffering financially, learning humility uh, could mean a number of different things. It may mean crying out to God in prayer. I mean, just, just acknowledging, God, I'm helpless here. I'm, 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 I'm in this situation and there is nothing I can do. I have to have you come through for me. Uh, learning humility may be learning to say, you know, I'm not in control. I can't even handle the anxieties I have, so I cast all my anxieties upon you. Learning humility may mean reaching out for help and saying, I need others in the body of Christ, and there, there are resources available uh, for help. And so financial stress is one of the core ways that we learn that God is the strong one in our relationship with him. That may be your situation. Or you may be, may be in the opposite situation. Some of you are working really long hours to take care of the rest of us, take care of us medically, feed us, keep us safe. Those of you who work in grocery stores and in health care, pharmacies, doctor's offices, hospitals, care facilities. Uh, some of you are caring for children 24-7, and there's very little room to get out to Rome, and uh, you're experiencing exhaustion. I was in, uh, in the grocery store on Tuesday, and there's a woman that I know. She served me for years in the checkout uh, section there, and I was leaving, and I saw her, and she looked exhausted, and so I just blurted it out. I, I often do things unpremeditated, so I just blurted out, have people been being nice to you today? And she paused, and she was, I think she was deciding, am I going to be honest here? And she paused, and she said, some people have been very rude to me. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pray for you. And I prayed for her, and I've been praying for her, for her. And so that may be you. You may be exhausted because you're working longer hours than anybody you know. And it is hard not to become bitter and cynical and resentful when you're working that hard, and especially when you aren't particularly appreciated. Humility means that you keep serving. Yes, we take care of ourselves. Of course, we take care of ourselves. But like Jesus, we put others in front of us. We, we don't merely look out for our own personal needs, but also the needs 
of others. And so for you, humility may mean learning how to care for others even when you're exhausted, care about others even when you're exhausted. Your situation may be very different from anything I've described. Maybe you're experiencing loss like Maggie described earlier, the loss of experiences that you have anticipated for a long time. Uh, some of you, these are the last month, your last months in Manhattan and you're not getting to say your goodbyes. You're not getting to have experiences walking across the stage at graduation. There's all sorts of things. Whatever uh, your weeks are like, I would encourage you to evaluate your life and notice how you're responding to your circumstances and pay attention. Listen, how does God want to teach you humility during these days? If we emerge from this, this pandemic, if we emerge with humility individually and as a body, that will be priceless because there are things we can learn in hardship that we cannot learn any other way. Humility invites the grace of God. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if we learn the lessons of hardship, if we learn humility, now we're ready to cultivate a vision for embodying the gospel. Uh, remember, Paul definitely preached with words. He went and he verbally explained Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead on the third day, never to die again. And he, he made this announcement that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will avoid eternity in hell and you will experience eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. And so Paul preached the gospel through words. That's essential. But as we've seen in our passage today, he also embodied the gospel. Through his body, Paul demonstrated the gospel for people. He suffered and persevered so that people could see the death and the resurrection life of Jesus. He embodied the gospel. The thing I would have to understand and just see very clearly is that if he had not learned humility through his suffering, he would not have been the type of person who can embody the gospel uh, the way he did. Because he learned humility through his weaknesses, he didn't really fear suffering for the cause of Christ. He knew God's grace is sufficient. He knew that God's power was manifested when he was weak, when he suffered. And so Paul basically said to God, any assignment you give me, I will gladly receive it. I'm willing to endure any amount of hardship and sufferings, suffering because that's what it means to be a disciple and that's what it takes to make disciples. Only disciples, people who live like Christ, who suffer like Christ did, can make disciples of others. And I studied this this week and Paul's example, honestly, it is a powerful, a powerful challenge to me. His, his way of embodying the gospel, it, it makes me challenge uh, some of my core attitudes about suffering for Christ, about sharing Christ. Embodying the gospel does not happen by accident. It cannot happen as an afterthought. It will not be without cost. It will cost us a lot of things. It, it, it will cost us. It will cost us prayer. We have to pour out our hearts in prayer. If we want to see people come to Christ, we have to labor in prayer. 
It will cost us time. It will, it will mean that we invest deeply in relationships. We don't just wander through life oblivious to the people around us. We notice, we love, we care for people. And it means that we take risks. And so embodying the gospel requires cultivating the type of humility that Paul said, Paul had, where he bowed the, the knee to Jesus unconditionally in a comprehensive way, experiencing both the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And I'm not suggesting that we go out and look for persecution and trouble. Uh, trouble will find us. Persecution will find us if we represent him. I am suggesting that we genuinely humble ourselves before God and take risks because we're not afraid. We know that God will meet our needs. We learn that in the tough times. We know that, that he will, his, his grace will be sufficient for us. His power will be manifested in our weaknesses. And so I invite you, would you join me uh, over the next weeks and months in examining your attitudes toward hardship, your attitudes toward sharing Christ with others? Let's not miss this opportunity to cultivate humility, first of all. And when we experience this humility, we also cultivate this vision for embodying the gospel. So I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to have some, uh, just a couple of simple questions on your screen. And if you're with people, take a few minutes to, to talk about these questions. They'll help you apply what we've talked about today. If you're alone, uh, think about them. You might write them down, but spend some time pondering how God might want you to live out the things we've discussed. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was willing to humble himself and become one of us. We thank you that he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. And we thank you, God, that there are many men and women who have followed Jesus, humbled themselves, and at great sacrifice embodied the gospel. God, we would not know you if that were not the case. And so, God, during these days of, of uncertainty, we pray that we would pay attention to the things you're doing in our midst. God, may we learn humility in deep ways, in profound ways, expose our pride. God, uh, melt our hearts, soften our hearts. We might be people who bow the knee to you and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Whatever you, whatever you ask of me, by your help, I will do. And God, give us a vision for embodying the gospel. Make us people who are not afraid of taking risks, not afraid of, of suffering hardship, insults. God, we know you're faithful. We've just seen your track record. We experienced it firsthand. And so, God, we ask you to do this in our midst. God, we're weak. We're helpless. We do continue to pray that you will bring healing to all those across the world who are suffering, who are sick. We pray that you would stay the hand of this disease and that we might, uh, we might see healing. And God, through it all, we pray that the body of Christ would shine. We pray that we would be the church for one another and for this world. Give wisdom to those who make decisions. We pray for those who are suffering right now, uh, those in, the, in our midst who are suffering hardship. God, would you show them your strength in, uh, in their weakness? And God, may we, we really be a tangible encouragement to one another. 
God, we, we are helpless without you. May, you. may this helplessness drive us to prayer. This week, we, we pray that you would prompt us to spend significant amounts of time in prayer, seeking your face. And so these are the things we need, and so these are the things that we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.